Well, hey, everybody, how we doing? Good, good. Hey, can I introduce you to a friend of mine, a fellow Heartlander? This is Dave Britton. Can you all welcome Dave to the stage? Yeah. Dave and I have been getting to know each other. Uh, you know, Kristen and I are still pretty, we feel new around here. We've been here a year, but I'm um, still getting to know everybody. And I recently had coffee with Dave and uh, Dave, your wife, Marty. Right. Uh, Marty uh, has helped our, my, my youngest, who is in the Hogwarts houses like of <laughs> Slytherin. <clears throat> That's a, he's, he's crazy. Uh, but she's helped him in Heartland Kids. Yeah. Bless her heart. On Sundays, she hangs out with our youngest, which I, I love. Um, and so I just got to know you guys a little bit. And we, um, we had coffee recently. It's a joy of mine to just get to, uh, get to know some of the people in our church by gathering together and, and breaking bread together. And we talked about what, what's going on lately. And I asked you, Dave, what's keeping you busy lately? And you, um, you, you told me. Retirement. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so I dug down a little bit on that, like retirement, man, is this like a wake up at noon type situation? What's going on here? And I quickly found out for you, Dave, retire, or, uh, retirement's not, it's not like a waste. It's yeah. really profitable for you in a, in a different way. Um, you quickly told me that you've been volunteering yeah. in different places. So uh, tell us about that. Well, for the last 18 months or so, my wife and I have been volunteering uh, serving the homeless in Kansas City through an organization called Uplift. Um, we originally got involved through her work, uh, but it's really become kind of a passion for us. Uh, we serve two times a month and really look forward to it and just brings us joy to do that. Yeah, I love that it started as like a work Christmas, like we're going to get well, that one-time thing that your office does together right. to like make a difference in the community. And it turned into like a real passion for you. Yeah. In fact, you told me the other day you got a promotion at, at the... Yeah, I actually get to drive one of their vans now. So it's a big deal. I <laughs> <laughs> love that. Not only are you uh, helping the homeless, but you're engaged with a organization that we at Heartland have a really close tie to, which is called Mission Adelante. Right. Just a reminder, next week we have a chance to help Adelante's thrift store, uh, Adelante Thrift, by bringing your you know, donatable items so they can sell them in their thrift store. Just bring them next Sunday, put them behind your car in the, um, in the parking lot as you come in, and they will magically disappear and be turned into money. Uh, for Adelante Thrift. Is that how it works? Someone who knows? No? Okay. Well, you'll, that's how you'll do it, and then uh, they'll take it from there. But you serve with Mission Adelante, not the thrift store, but the, the right. ministry out of that. What do you do, what, what do, you do with them? Um, I teach English to native Spanish speakers. And um, do you know Spanish? Not a bit. So how, how does that go? <laughs> uh, it, goes, it goes pretty well. Um, it's an English class, so you're supposed to speak English, and um, that's one of the, the ways they learn. So, um, I love that. It, I lo go, it goes okay. There's a little problem now and then, but it goes good. Yeah, and so you're helping not only the homeless, but you're helping people who are far from home, right, who speak a different language. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also have a third thing. If that wasn't enough, <laughs> you've also got a third thing that you found yourself engaged in, helping people kind of reacclimate to home after being in prison, yeah. right? You want to tell us a little bit about that? I got connected to an organization here in Kansas City called Healing House. It is a uh, nonprofit residential addiction recovery facility um, here in Kansas City. So already you're setting retirement goals for half of our room here, <laughs> Dave, with just all these things that you're doing. But what happens at Healing House? How, how, how often do you gather yeah. and what do you guys do? Well, I'm involved in their Friday night 
uh, service. They have a meal as a group and then a worship service that uh, follows the Alpha program. So I get to help lead a small breakout group of 10 to 12 individuals in various uh, stages of recovery. Um, some of them have been in prison in the past. Some of them actually come to Healing House from prison. Um, so it's a really diverse background. Yeah, and I love that you're doing all these things. It, you know, I, when I was um, sitting down with you over coffee, I asked you the question, like, why are you engaged giving away so much of your time? That seems like it's, you're, you may be setting the bar too high for us, Dave. Like, yeah. why? <laughs> why? And, and you, do you remember what you told me? Yeah, I, I think I said something along the lines of, I'm finally getting around to loving my neighbor. Yeah. 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 And I, that struck me in, in my soul because I, I think we get that, right? For us, serving many times is like something that we'll do down the road. It's out here. And yet um, you've, you've decided not to put it off or put it out there, but to say, no, I actually want to get around to this. Yeah. Um, you know, why do you think it took you, you said I'm finally getting around. Why do you think it <laughs> took you so long to get around to it? Well, I think I was waiting, some, waiting for something where I had expertise in the area or I had certain kind of training that would help me to do that. Um, but I think what I've kind of learned is all you really need is an open heart and a desire to give back to others. Yeah. And um, Someone said something to you that really made an impact. Do you remember that, that phrase? That Yeah. Somebody, um, when I was getting started with Healing House, I expressed some apprehension about it, not feeling adequate. And somebody said, uh, God doesn't send the equipped, he equips the sent. And that really meant a lot to me and kind of helped me get over some of those feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. And God does provide. Yeah, that's so sweet. You know, so uh, to that point, this is a series called It Brings Me Joy. And last week, the it was serving. How has serving brought you joy, Dave? Um, after serving, it just, uh, I feel like I get more back from them than I give to them in, in many occasions. And it just makes my heart full to see God working in the lives of people who uh, our society often ignores or even marginalizes. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, what Brad told us last week of, you know, the Jesus first life is someone who uh, makes it their first priority to put themselves last and does that through serving. That's what you've been doing uh, so well uh, outside the walls of the church and the yeah. community for people who uh, maybe are often overlooked. And so we just want to say thanks for sharing your story. Just a simple way of how one guy in his, his regular life in retirement is just doing a little bit that he can to, uh, to help uh, love your neighbor. So can we give Dave a thankful hand for sharing his story? And appreciate you, man. Give me a picture, Chuck. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I love this church because it's a community of really special people who uh, all together are, are joy, finding joy in God by these simple acts together. Um, that's the series that we've been in, which is called It Brings Me Joy. And last week it was uh, serving. We said that giving up in our life is never a letdown. And that's the reason uh, that, that we, we find joy is because God always fills up the lack that we experience. Um, we, we have to say that phrase, giving up is never a letdown, because there's many faith practices prescribed to us by Jesus that seem on the surface like they're going to be painful, right? I mean, if you could be honest with yourself, one of the reasons that we don't give up our time, one of the reasons that we don't give up of ourselves is because we don't 
want to endure the discomfort of what it would take for us to actually do the thing that Jesus calls us to do. To give an hour of your time on a consistent basis to help someone else, that sounds like it will hurt. But as Dave just shared, you know, it's the utterly rewarding way in life is to bring God joy and us joy through serving. Of course, when we think about giving up of ourselves or giving of ourselves, when we think about giving, there's one thing in this world, there's, there's one area, one realm of life that if I were to talk about it, you might say, whoa, Dan, that's too close to home. Whoa, Dan, that might hurt too much. Of course, the topic of giving brings up the idea of giving your money. How many people today were really excited to hear a message from a pastor about giving money? Yeah, yeah. I, I promise he's not leaving because I'm talking about money. Uh, no, uh, if, uh, if you were to pull nine out of 10 church people to ask them, do you ever want your pastor to talk about money? I think 10 of them would say no, right? Uh, but as a pastor of this church, I, I really am excited to talk about this topic today because I think we've been so fearful about what it means for us and we've lost the joy that comes with it. I, I think uh, when, when we talk about giving, uh, I want you to know that in this church, I'm preaching to the choir. In this church, uh, we have seen more people participate in giving financially than I think we even expect ourselves. In fact, uh, over the course of the pandemic from uh, three months, uh, February through May in 2020, uh, there was an organization across the globe called uh, the Charities Aid Foundation. They found out that 45% of Americans, 45% of Americans in this three-month window gave financially to someone or some organization that they had no relationship with. 45% of Americans willfully gave money to someone they didn't even know. Which is really interesting because it tells me that um, in this room right here, half of us would give money to someone if we thought it would help them. Isn't that crazy? That's not just religious people. That's the general population in America. Statistics tell us that religious people are significantly more uh, charitable in their giving than non-religious people. If we were to take that number for just those who claim to follow Jesus, that number would be incredibly higher. Here's, here's my point of talking about this, is that this. I think sometimes in the church we have this stigma around this idea of pastors talking about giving that's going to result in scan the QR code in front of the seat back in front of you to be taken to our, our giving page. And I want you to know that's not happening today. Everybody take a deep breath. Right? Today is not a day where I'm going to lay out a vision for our church that's going to require a financial investment from you. And to that I want to say I'm sorry because I know a lot of us are really excited for the day when I can stand on stage and say, here's where God is bringing us his heartland and here's what it's going to take for us and will you give? I, so many heartlanders have already been like, we would love to participate in that type of generosity. Today I just want to ask a really simple question. How could we become like Jesus, richly generous? How could we become like Jesus, richly generous? In fact, today is not about us as a church getting anything from you. It's about us all getting a vision for what it looks like for our lives to be radically transformed by joy, the joy of giving. I think nothing gives us a hands-on experience with God like taking our hands off of our money. And that's my only game. My, my game today is just to show you from the Bible how good it is to give. A long time ago, the Apostle Paul said to a younger pastor, Timothy, he said, I want you to teach the people in your church how to be generous. And I can't help but wonder how we as a church have been doing and teaching 
you how to be generous, though this is a generous church. Of course, for Paul, Jesus was the ultimate example of someone who gave everything that he had for the sake of others. But Paul showed what he was talking about through a story of one community that's found in the pages of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is uh, the beginning, the foray into what would be two chapters that Paul gives to this one community about how they should give their money. Two chapters is what he spends on it. I'm just going to take you through the first five verses today. I think that's all we need to get the picture. Um, and this is, this is how Paul, when he himself taught about money, this is, this is what he said. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace If you're a person that takes notes, you can just kind of write down that word grace that God has given. You can kind of pair those two words together to the Macedonian churches. Now, we're Americans. We don't even know where Anchorage, Alaska is. And that's in America. So let me help you with Macedonia. uh, Here's a map. Uh, This is if you were to walk from Corinth to Philippi, how you would get there. I know know this is a journey that you're all begging to take someday. Corinth, I just want to point this out. Southern part of Greece, really pretty this time of year. Uh, Corinth was a trade route. This is where there would be ports and ships would come and go. Corinth was a type of community back in the day that was a crossroads, so to speak, of all of the commerce. It was a very wealthy city. People had finances. People had opportunity. People could go anywhere in the world from Corinth. And and, and people came from anywhere in the world to Corinth. It was, in many respects, an ancient Kansas city. It was an ancient place with commerce and trade and travel and routes. And, and, and the people in Corinth who were Jesus followers, actually because of all of the economic prosperity and because people from all around the world came to them, there was a tremendous amount of patience and peace that existed in this world. So for the Jesus followers living in Corinth, it was actually pretty easy to be a Jesus follower. Not so amongst the churches up in Macedonia, specifically in Thessalonica and Philippi. You might, if you're a Bible person, remember the book of Philippians or Thessalonians. Those were letters that Paul wrote to these specific communities, those specific um, churches. The book that we call Philippians is a book denoted uh, by joy. And that's written to this group of people right here in Macedonia. Paul says that these people right here were given grace from God as a gift. When Paul wants to talk to a very wealthy, very peaceful community that has no problem following Jesus in the community that they're in, has no problem, you know, taking care of their needs, has no problem uh, around them, he, he sets them up by saying, hey, I want to tell you about this story, about these two communities, these two churches that are living in a, in a situation that's a little bit different than yours. And here's what he says. Look, look at verse 2 with me. Here's what, here's what Paul says. Uh, he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. In rich generosity. Overflowing joy and rich generosity, they go hand in hand. God gave them grace and their joy was overflowing. There's no question about it. The, the Thessalonians, the Philippians, they were people who had the unmistakable joy in the grace or the gift of Jesus. They believed the eyewitness accounts that Jesus Christ actually lived, he actually died, and he actually rose from the dead. By faith, they received his full and final and free forgiveness for their sins. They had hands-on experience with God that was tangible and life-changing. And because of that, they themselves became richly generous. 
Here's a question I have for you, a question I have for me. What, what would it take in your life for you to consider yourself to be richly generous? I just want you to think about that. Is there a dollar amount that you would think of? Is there a life situation you would think of? I'll give you mine, if that's okay, and you can promise not to think too low of me after I tell you what I, what I, what I think. Um, I think for me to be a richly generous person, I would have to make um, a lot more money than I currently make. And, and, and have a couple more houses than I currently have. And have a couple more cars that I could help people with. And have a couple more timeshares that I could give away. And, do you get the picture? Oftentimes when we think about what it would take for us to be generous, there's always an and. I should have this and once I get that. And once I get that, and once I. I, I, um, I think about generosity in these terms of excess. Once I have excess, I could be generous. But this isn't what Paul says, the example of the Macedonian churches. Actually, look at their circumstances. I want to put it back up here. I'll highlight their circumstances right here. It was in the midst of a very severe trial. Paul doesn't name the trial. He doesn't tell us what they're going through, but historians know that um, the Macedonian churches, the Macedonian cities were under the thumb of Caesar, who was taxing them at an unfairly high rate. On top of that, they were a more homogenous group of people, so to betray your community by following Jesus would cost you something politically. If you owned a store in Macedonia and you were a follower of Jesus, there was a high likelihood that people would boycott your store and that would not only cause you shame in the community, that would cause you pain in your pocketbook. There was a very severe trial, but not only that, look at this. Uh, they had overflowing joy because of the gospel, but they also had this going against them. It was their extreme poverty. The poverty line uh, here in Kansas is uh, $12,880 uh, for an individual. That is what we call poverty today here in Kansas City. If you make $12,880, we consider you at or below the poverty line. Um, historians tell us that in Macedonia, back in this time that Paul was writing, 90% of the people living in Philippi or in Thessalonica lived at or below the poverty line. 90%. The, the rate today in Johnson County is 4.3%, I think, if I've got the number correct. Very different, very different world. And yet, something inside of them welled up into what was called rich generosity. And here, here's what I think Paul is trying to get at for us who don't live in Philippi, but we live in Corinth. He's trying to help the Corinthians learn this very simple principle that when times are tough, the richly generous give. I want you to think about that, take a picture of that, write that down. When times are tough, give. When, when Paul wanted to shake the, the, the alertness of this Corinthian church, this wealthy, peaceful church, what he did is he showed them a church that was not in the same prosperous or peaceful situation as them. He said, no, no, no. Actually, it was the Macedonian church who had overflowing joy in rich generosity. And that's pretty incredible because the Corinthian people thought that they were relatively generous. You know, some people are rarely generous. Maybe you got an uncle, maybe you got an aunt, 
maybe got a dad. Rarely generous, right? Rarely generous people think that their money is to be spent on them, for them, for their purposes only. In fact, rarely generous people might give money away when it's convenient for them. I think in our society, rarely generous people take advantage of Giving Tuesday. Sort of a way to assuage your guilt and do some good. But if you looked at the rest of the calendar, your consistent giving just didn't really show up at all. Rarely generous. I don't think so many people today are rarely generous. I think, I think some people, more, more of us, we're more relatively generous. Relatively generous people will help when they're asked. They, they have it in their heart to do good for others, but maybe it's not the first thought they, that, that they have. They'll, they'll um, do the Giving Tuesday thing, but they'll also do the GoFundMe and the Kickstarters, and they'll help their friends in need. I think in Corinth, Corinth was relatively generous. In fact, a year prior to Paul writing this letter, they had sent him a huge gift that helped him along his mission. But the Macedonian church stands out because they weren't rarely generous and they weren't relatively generous. They were richly generous. Even though they weren't marked by wealth, they gave extravagantly, not because of what they gave, but because of how they gave it. Here's what I want you to show. Here, here, look at this next verse. Paul says this. He says, for I testify that they gave, everybody say this next part with me, as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. They gave as much as they were able, even as much or beyond their ability. This feels like a redundant statement. Why does Paul say it this way? They gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Well, Paul's trying to show us how it worked to give in the early church. In his last letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you could call it 1 Corinthians if you're British, uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, uh, Paul said it this way. He, he showed the Corinthian church, here's God's plan for richly generous people. He spelled it out for him. He said this. He said, on the first day of every week. Now, now, what's important about this is the word every. Every week, the first day. Each one of you, that's every person, right? So every person should set aside a, a sum of money. Now, notice Paul didn't tell them the sum of money. He said a sum of money. What was the sum of money? Well, it was in keeping with your income. In the early church, everybody on the first day of the week was to look at what they had, what God had given them, how they were blessed that, that prior week. Everyone was to do this. And then everyone was to bring a check to the church and then they were supposed to put another zero behind it. Wrong. No. What was the amount that they brought? It, it varied. It was totally dependent upon who you were. It was according to your own income. What wasn't varied? The rhythm. What wasn't varied? The participation. What was varied? The amount. And in this way, even though people made significantly different amounts of money, everyone was still contributing and participating in the joy and the grace of Jesus. And then he says this, you should store it up. And this, this phrase that Paul uses here, store it up or save it up. It, it, it rings true of like a farmer who has gathered in his crops and put them in a central storehouse. Back in this day, it was called the general fund. That's what we call it today too. It was like the general collection. And it was to be used. The, the early church used these small bits of money to pile them together to make a bigger fund of money that could go to help whoever had needs. And it could go to help advance the mission and the message of Jesus all around the world. And this is what the Macedonian church was doing. 
Paul says that though times were tough and hard, their funds were low, they gave as much as they were able. They dipped into the storehouse of funds and they gave to give a gift according to what they could do. But then Paul says, they gave more. Did you see it? They gave as much as they were able and then even beyond their ability. Even beyond. Now, I um, grew up receiving a lot of the same financial wisdom that you've received, right? We don't spend beyond our means, you know, all that stuff. It's really, I mean, great advice. I'm not here to give good advice today. I'm here to help change your vision of your life, though. There's these moments in life where each one of us is called to give according to what we make. And then there's these other moments where we're called to give beyond what we thought we would give. For um, us here at Heartland, I, I think about a lot of the ways that we do even beyond giving. You know, Christmas is coming up. Good gracious, I saw Christmas decorations the other day before Halloween decorations now. This is out of control, you guys. And uh, in a couple months, we're going to be doing gifts from the heart. What is that? That's not coming out of our general giving. That's, that's an above and beyond type of thing. Um, Days like Giving Tuesday are really important to a church like ours. They, we, we receive a lot of the finances that help us do the thing that we do right here in, in Kansas City on Giving Tuesday. But that's an above and beyond, an even beyond type of a thing. I think of next week when you clear out your closets and you bring stuff here and you put them behind your car and, and, and Adelante Thrift is going to come and they're going to And that's an even beyond type of a gift. I'm so grateful for the richly generous people who give even when times are tough, when funds are low, and they go even beyond right here at Heartland. It'd be inappropriate for me to share stories at this moment, but I want you to know that there's so many people that I'm preaching to the choir today, you give even beyond, and I want you to know this, is that God sees it. He knows. I think it brings him joy. So um, richly generous people give even when times are tough, but we get verse four gives us another example to follow in generosity. I want you to see this. Uh, even when they're not even asked, they give. Here's, here's what the verse says. Entirely on their own. I'll talk about that in a second. But they urgently pleaded with us in the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Even before they were asked, they gave. Even before Paul came around saying, hey, guys, I got this thing and we really need some help. Would you be willing to give? They gave. And that's the principle is that when times are tough, richly generous people give. But when not even asked, richly generous people give. I give a lot of things to my kids, but I oftentimes make them ask for it. Don't you? Like I've never once just given my kids ice cream. I probably should probably be really nice of me to do that, but I always make a mask. They always go, hey, can I have ice cream? And then I think about it, right? But, but here we see the picture of a generous group of people. Before the Apostle Paul could even ask them, they ask, could we participate? You know, this is actually Paul's way of throwing the flag on himself. For Paul to say, you know, even before they were asked, or even on their own accord, it's actually a way of Paul saying, the Macedonian church was so poor that it's to my shame that I didn't even ask them for money. That's what he's saying. That everybody else overlooked what they had because it was so meager and it was so well known, the plight that they were experiencing, that we didn't even inconvenience them or ask them to participate. But on their own, their joy in Jesus was so rich 
that even on their own, they said, could we participate in what God is doing through you? How do you know if you're a rarely generous person, a relatively generous person, or a richly generous person? There's one very simple way. Do you give without being asked? Going back in your mental bank of the last time you gave to somebody, did you give even on your own? That's, that's how we know. And this is a, a hard thing for us, but God's eyes are on the lookout for people who give to unadvertised needs. A rarely generous person will give to an advertised need. A relatively generous person will give to an asked need and a richly ger- generous person will give to an anonymous need. They don't need to know the recipients of the gift in order to see that they're giving to God's people. Now, I find this hard for me because I, I, I know I handle money probably similarly the way that you do. I want to see a good ROI on what I have. I want to know that what I'm giving is going to make an impact or it's going to really change things or that it's going to come back to me. It's going to return on my investment. But richly generous people have no strings attached to their gifts. They say, this is a gift to get. It's a grace to give. And they say this, it's, it's to God that we give. When times are tough, we give. And when no one even asks, we give. And when the recipient is God, we give. This is really what Paul is getting us to. Look at the next verse here. Uh, the last verse, verse five, gets, gets to it really clearly. He says, they exceeded our expectations. Obviously, they thought nothing was coming in, so the fact that anything came in was a bonus, but, but that's not really what Paul's talking about. He's saying the way that they gave really exceeded their expectations because they gave themselves. These two words, gave themselves, is the essence of what brings joy. This was week one of It Brings Me Joy. This is last week of giving your time to others, giving of yourselves. They gave themselves financially, but, but, but holistically they saw everything I have belongs to you, God. And so they first gave to the Lord. And this is the principle when it comes to us as we think about our money. God, are you first in our lives? God, are you the best in our lives? Why in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 did Paul encouraged them on every Sunday, the first day of the week, to gather together their money, to bring it together and to to create this fund together that they could bless the community with. Why? Because the first day of the week was representative of the best thing that ever happened in their lives. It, It was in every gospel account recorded that the resurrection of Jesus, it was called the first day of the week. Something about the first day is supposed to remind the Jesus follower of the fact that Jesus has resurrected from the dead and turned the whole world on its head. That, that no longer did we live under the same structures that the world lived under, but we were arisen, resurrected people who everything has changed for. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then, by the grace of God, to each other. There is uh, no denying the radical joy that comes from giving yourself to God and practicing rich generosity. They put Jesus first. You know, I, um, I know what I'm talking about today, that, that there's joy in giving. And I, I wanted to um, interview some really famous person about their generosity. I thought about bringing in a Heartlander, but I couldn't figure out a way to not make that awkward for them. I thought about... Um, uh, calling, I got a couple of people who are, I've been in contact with and talking to through the live stream and they're Heartlanders from afar and they're very richly generous people. You guys know who you are. 
I thought about having them send out a video from a distance, but I also thought that would be kind of weird too. And I thought, Dan, why don't you share your own experience because you're a pastor, right? Um, no one's looking at you thinking you're crushing it financially. You shouldn't look at me thinking I'm crushing it financially. Uh, can, can you encourage people with what you've seen? And Kristen and I know this firsthand. We've not always given what we've wanted to give. And we're still growing in this practice. But, but we got a little bit of advice 13 years ago before we got married from our really wealthy and generous friends told us this one principle. They said, Dan, Kristen, at, at the beginning of your marriage, you should begin with a commitment to be generous people. And that we wouldn't ever be generous tomorrow if we weren't generous today. And I knew at this time that we were getting married that I was not a generous person, but I wanted to be. But every time I looked at my finances, I had such little to hold. I had such little in my bank account. And then we got married and we were scraping pennies together. You know what that's like. And, and every time it was fraught with fear and anxiety of like, God, if we give that away, then we're gonna have lack. But we did something that was really smart. We, um, we automated our giving to our local church at that time because we believe so clearly that our life should reflect that Jesus is first and Jesus is best. And so we, we decided the best way for us to get over this hump of like, do we, do we not, do we, do we not, was to automate our giving. Now listen, everybody, this was in a day and age where you could not go online and just click in your button and type in your passcode and all this stuff and give. I had to go find the uh, director of operations of our church and he gave me a form on paper and he said, Dan, what you need to do is go find your, a blank check, which was a problem for me. And he said, you need to write down the numbers from the bottom of the check right here. And then you're going to write down the amount you want to give and how frequently you want to give it. And I remember thinking, I got to put that in a place where you're going to see it. And so we took the, the form and we started to do the thing. It was really tedious. It was a really manual process. Um, this guy was a friend of mine, and I, I wanted to impress him. He was the type of guy that like um, built businesses into multi, multi, multi-million dollar companies, and now he had given up in his second act of life to help run a church. And I remember thinking, like, man, this guy's going to think I'm a joke. But it didn't matter what the amount was, because it was based upon what we made. And so I remember it was a two-digit number. <laughs> I wrote down a two-digit number. It went out every other week because that's when I got paid. I remember praying this prayer, God, may our life reflect that you are first and you are best. Even though we had a small amount and I was embarrassed by it, I turned that form back in and then, just like clockwork, the first line item on our transactions after we got paid was a gift back to the local church that represented a gift of commitment to God. The other day, um, I realize it's been, you know, almost 13 years that Kristen and I have been doing this. And um, the urge to do math hits me like once a year, never at tax time. But I had that. I was like, I wonder, I wonder if I could add up all that we've given away over the past 13 years, if that would be a number that would be exciting for me. So I grabbed a sheet of paper and um, 
just kind of did some, some, some quick math about like what God has entrusted us, just like a net worth. And I just put it on one piece of paper because I wanted to see like my entire life's savings, liabilities, everything that we have, just on one sheet. I can't do your Edward Jones stuff where it's all like complicated and, and reams of paper. I just wanted like, like a couple numbers that helped us see. And then, and then I got out our taxes and you don't need to do this. I'll help you understand how to do this in a second. But, but I got out our taxes and I uh, looked at our taxes and I, I took the charitable giving line from the past 12 years of our taxes. And I added them all up. And at the end, I was praying like, oh God, may my life reflect that you are first and you are best because this is not gonna lie right here. And I punched that enter button and it was $30,000 less than I hoped it would be. But it was still way bigger than I ever imagined it could be. And I had this moment of looking at this and writing the number on the sheet of paper of, what God has allowed us to do in little bits, as much as we're able, sometimes even more, the cumulative effect of what God's done in our lives. It was interesting for me to see that that number was way bigger than our savings account. That number was way bigger than our 401k. And if you do 401ks, don't freak out. We'll be fine. It was, it was the, one of the biggest numbers that we have in our financial situation. And for some of us, it's just as good as like throwing it through the paper shredder. Like you just shredded money, Dan. But what I did is I tucked that number in our, in, in our net worth right at the top and said, more than what I have, this is what we've given. And, and um, <laughs> I got teary-eyed, right? Because I started thinking about all the places that this money had gone. Over 13 years, all the friends who came and sat down with us over coffee and as a, as a recovering, rarely generous person, I'd always be like, I don't want to give you money because I want to spend my money on myself. And the voice of God would always overtake that and think about where that money has been taken across the world. It's gone to Croatia, it's gone to Ukraine, it's gone to Romania, it's gone to um, Boulder, Colorado, because, you know, and then it's gone to Kenya, it's gone to Dominican Republic, it's gone to Costa Rica, it's gone. It's gone to places that me and Kristen could never imagine going, but through our generosity, we've gone. That, that, that the investment we made just by obeying God and, 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 and honoring whatever we had, it's gone across the world for his glory and for his fame. And this is the prayer that I have, that I've been praying, is just simply this, is a prayer I want you to adopt. Just a simple prayer. Father, may my life reflect that you are, say it with me, first and you are best. I wonder what it would be for you this week just to pray this prayer back to God. God, may my life reflect that you are first and you are best. Here's what I want you to do today. You don't need to do any sort of like digging out of your taxes or being reminded of Uncle Sam. I don't want you to even care about that right now. I just want you to take two numbers, right? It's very, this is very simple. Anyone could do this. A four-year-old could do this. I just want you to, to figure out what have you given this year to God? However you've done that. What have you given? And imagining that this year was over and this is all that you'd give, what would it look like for you to give that amount 10 years in a row? So this is, this is the math part, but you just put a zero on the end of that number. I want you to ask yourself the question, how does that feel for me? It's not about anybody else. It's not about what you think I should be giving. It's not about what you think the person next to you should be giving. It's about you and God. To ask this question, God, how, am I putting you first? Am I making you best in my life by my finances? 
And for some of us, we're going to do that exercise today. You've already calculated in your mind and you've got a number in your mind and you've multiplied it by 10 over 10 years. And for a lot of us, here's the reality. That number is way crazier than anything else you'd ever give. That number that you're thinking about right now is already like, I didn't think I'd ever have it in me to give away that much money. And I want you to know that is part of the joy of giving. To see how God takes your consistent personal giving week in, week out, and maximizes it for himself. But for some of us, we're going to do the net worth comparison, and we're going to look at what we give, and we're going to look at a number, and we think that's $30,000 less than what I thought it would be. And we're going to say to ourselves, man, how do we make a change? How do we express to God dedication first to him, and then by the will of God, then to the others? How do we make sure that we're living our lives in a way where we can feel the hands-on love of God as we trust him with our finances? How do we reflect back to God the joy of his salvation? It comes when we give that which is closest to us. So Father, may our lives reflect that you are first and you are best. Harley, we love you. We'll see you next week.